0: Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and Mm. gave His one and only Son
1: to be a propitiation for our sins. How am I being like Christ? How am I suffering and serving so that they can perceive something more of Jesus in us? Welcome back to The 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church, episode 14. This is the first in our spring series, Covering Emotions. This week you'll hear Dr. Thomas and me discuss the topic of love. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Press. You're listening to 1A, a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time listening, we appreciate you checking us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can check us out at our website, which is firstprescolumbiaorg forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbiaorg forward slash 1A. You can find all our episodes there, as well as links on how to subscribe. If this is a ministry that you enjoy, then we appreciate if you would subscribe using the application of your choice. You can use iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. While you're there, leave us some comments. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. Just earlier this week, I heard someone discuss the impossibility of defining love. Well, if that's true, then you get to hear Dr. Thomas and I take on the impossible. In this episode, we try to define what the Bible means when it uses the word love, whether or not it's loving to correct someone, and when love transgresses into lust. Now, let's get to our episode. Welcome back to Studio 1A. Derek? Derek? Uh, this week we're going to be looking at the topic of love. We said in our preview episode, for those who may not have heard it for whatever reason, that we're going to be looking through emotions this spring. Different emotions, love, joy, surprise. You're going to ask me a really, really good question this morning.
0: What is the biblical definition of love? Since we're talking about
1: affections, um, Yeah, I thought we might start with love. It's the emotion that people seem to want to talk about most, especially in our day and age, seems to be the center and focus of people's entire lives. So, and and maybe that's not even an unbiblical idea, but I thought we needed to ground ourselves in a biblical idea of what love is. Well, what comes to mind, of course,
0: immediately is C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, based on four Greek words for love. And one being uh, storge, uh, a word that would be used for uh, the kind of um, affection and bond that we would have for family members. Maybe maybe the kind of affection you might have for a dog or a cat or a porcupine or (laughs) budgerig or whatever. (laughs) It's a very general word. Um, uh, Filia, we think of the city of love, city Mm -hmm. of brotherly love, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, But filia being that that love, especially between brothers and sisters and and the sense
1: of commitment that that brings with it. So a sort of peer love, a, a love that I would have for a friend or a family member?
0: yes storge would be more would be more f- friend family member but philadelphia is is a is a stronger word i mean okay. i mean philia yeah. as in philadelphia um that's a brotherly love that's a that's a that's more of a bond it's more than an affection for uh, but there's a certain commitment i think in in philia mm. Uh, Certain obligation, even Hmm. David and Jonathan comes to mind, something like that. Right. Okay. Um, And then there's uh, eros. Uh, It's not a word that's found in the New Testament, but the erotic and and the sexual Hmm. uh, and the intimate. Um, And then the the New Testament word uh, agape, Hmm. or or, you know, depends on where you put the emphasis on the syllable here. Agape, um, agape, and that's you know interesting to to look into. Um, it's a word that had certain coinage before the New Testament, but it didn't have any particular meaning, mm. uh, special meaning. And I I think this is an example of how the New Testament takes a word and pours into it mm. new meaning. Mm. Uh, that should help us avoid the fallacy of root meaning mm. uh, and the whole issue of uh, that James Barr and others um, have addressed uh, in the twentieth century about etymology being the you know the root of this word is whatever right uh, and and words take on a life of their own mm. uh, and words change in from their origin
1: to how they're used. Today, today. For example, if I had called a sermon of yours awful a hundred years ago, you would have received that as a compliment because I it would might. have been full of awe.
0: Yes, <laughs> and um, Americans tend to say that was quite good, which in Britain would be a complete letdown. Quite good means I'm just being polite, but it stinks. <laughs> um, but quite here means means obviously something different. Right, um, and and I think. Uh, Agape ha- has that new meaning about it in the New testament, and herein is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and mm. and gave his his one and only son to be a propitiation for our sins mm. um, God is love uh, in first John, and these are all for God so loved the world that right. he gave his only begotten son and um you know it's important to address this first of all by saying there there is this is not the complete truth about god mm. you know god is love and that love is defined as a self sacrificing and self giving love it's mm. a love that is epitomized in the cross it's mm. a love that is epitomized in the in the sending of the Lord Jesus. He did not spare him, but freely delivered him up for us all. Mm. Um, but there's more to God than love. Mm. You can you can make a statement be the controlling principle of everything else. It's like in the debate about egalitarianism and complementarianism. Somebody mm. is going to cite Galatians three twenty eight. In Christ, there is neither male nor female, and that's going to be the controlling verse of every other verse. Right. So, in any other verse that suggests it has to be bulldozed down by this juggernaut that's coming down the highway. And it's Galatians three twenty-eight. There is neither male nor female. So right. don't make any distinctions. Right. And and you can do that with God is love. So anything that 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 suggests a judgment on God's part, a criticism on God's part, or anger, or, mm. or wrath wrath, on God's part uh, is bulldozed. Yeah. My, I'm mixing my metaphors now. Right, is, right. is won over, is pushed out of the way, whatever the appropriate word is, right. you know, by, by God is love. So God is light, hmm. which in John, and that's a statement in First John, of course, um, and in John, that I think has moral and ethical connotations. God mm. is light, the, the the light of truth, uh, the light that pushes out the darkness. Mm. So God distinguishes between good and evil. Light and darkness mm. rewards one, punishes another. Um, so God is love is not the complete truth about God. Mm. But it is the complete truth about us as Christians in that Mm. the reason I am a Christian is the love of God. It's not it's not anything in me. It's not my works. It's not you. Right. It is the love of God. For God so loved the world. Mm. It is a a foreknowing, Mm. predestinating, Mm. effectual love Mm. that brings me into fellowship with himself. The mm. reason that I love God is that he first loved me. Right. You know, when we think about the love of God, there are models of it and there are descriptions of it. There's right. the wonderful description of it in First Corinthians 13. And then there's the model of it in John 13, the mm. foot washing. Mm. And, and how do you model biblical love, self-sacrificing love, love that thinks of others, uh, love that is prepared to uh, be humbled um, for the foot washing. Uh, And Jesus wrapping a towel uh, around him and bathing the disciples' feet as a a description, an example Mm. of... um, of biblical love. Love sacrifices. Love is prepared to lay down one's life mm. for others. Mm. That's the measure, I think, of mm. biblical love. Mm. I, I do think agape, self-sacrificing, self-giving love, it is what defines Christ-likeness. It therefore defines what holiness means it defines Mm. what sanctification means it defines what consecration means Mm. what is the controlling principle Mm. of um, our conformity Mm. to the image of god and and it's agape it's at the heart of god but the very being central core Mm. the central plexus of god we're in Star Trek,
1: where um, where no theologians have been before.
0: Right. Is 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 love is agape. Now I've gone to saying agape instead
1: of agape. <laughs> We're Americanizing you. It's part of becoming a citizen. Um, now, one of my questions, and this might transgress into the question that that you may want to ask me, um, when we talk about self sacrifice, that love is self sacrifice. Um, how would we answer somebody that says, as a Christian, you are telling me to give up something that I love? Um, that's that's not self-sacrificing. On your part, you're telling me to sacrifice something. You spend a great deal of your time in counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a
0: trained professional counselor. You see people and meet people all the time whose lives are misshaped, distorted, because essentially of a me principle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not. I'm not saying in every instance, but sure. a, a great deal of right. the problems people face is caused by living for oneself, living f- for one's own expectations, one's own fulfillments, expressing emotions in a certain way to... Display and fulfill maybe some needs of our own. Right.
1: Isn't that isn't that the case? It is. In fact, um, the very first article that I was asked to write for Desiring God, John Piper's website, was what was the biggest counseling problem that you see in the room? And my answer was pride. Pride is the biggest problem that I see. Is that and that that is not universal for sure. Um, You and I both know people who end up in counseling because of some crisis that they themselves didn't put themselves in. Uh, The recent flood would be a good example where I've seen families and individuals who are struggling to deal with the results of that. That's not a pride issue. But a number of times people find themselves in counseling and they're always pointing the fingers outward. They're always saying, my spouse is the problem, my child is the problem, my job is the problem, my boss is the problem but they won't look inward. And so I think it is a measure of our love for them that we're able to tell them that they don't need to look inward anymore. They need to look to Jesus. They need to be found more and more in him and see what he is telling them they should be doing with their lives, not trying to tell God what he should give them in their lives or, or what it is that they believe would fulfill their lives. And actually here, I find helpful uh, the example of Christ with the rich young ruler, that when Christ is with the rich young ruler, he can use the word love or, or love can be ascribed to him. It's not; It doesn't come directly out of the mouth of Jesus, uh, but it's described as loving him and then telling him what you lack is this. Right. So he can actually look at the rich young ruler and show him his weakness and show him what he's lacking. And that is an act of love. It's, it's not a lack uh, or it's not an act of uh, anger or hate or being overly critical. So holding one another to some biblical standard. And I really do think that if, if you want to look at love from some sort of ethical perspective, like what should we be doing? It's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are an expression of love. It's 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 God's plan for how we should love one another and Him. Right? Doesn't John say in First John
0: five? You know, By this they will know that you love me, that you keep my commandments, right, or or words to that effect, right? Um, and uh, the accusation here. In the room, I guess, is that if you make a judgment call, if you call out sin, Mm -hmm. if you
1: insist upon change of behavior, repentance, that you're being unloving. Right, right. You're being judgmental, and judgmental is always an unloving quality. Right. So parents are not supposed to correct their
0: children. Right. Um, Spouses are not supposed to call out wrong behavior
1: on right. the part of their partners. Right. And you know, this is this is tricky, though, because you also walk up to that line where it is, how am I calling you out on your behavior or your sin and yet not so focused on you and your behavior that I lose sight of myself, that I lose sight of. And, and by that, I don't mean lose sight of myself and what I want. I lose sight of myself and my own sin, that I need to be mortifying my sin. I need to be killing my sin in as much or more than I'm trying to point out your sin to you. And it's not its not an either or. It's not either I sit over here and I'm the one who's always correcting you or I'm always the one trying to correct myself. It's a, it's a both and. We live in Christian community. We need to be able to call each other out. And we need to be able to receive that sort of feedback. What What's given rise
0: to the notion that
1: I deserve to be affirmed rather than judged hmm. and corrected? Wow, oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think that's probably a question that people continue to try and answer from multiple avenues. A sociological avenue and a psychological avenue. Um And I don't know that that we have complete answers. What I do think is there's a heavy influence or there has been a heavy influence over the past couple of decades about self-esteem psychology. That we need to get everyone to feel like they are winners, that they are doing the very best that they can, and that any critique or criticism, it only inhibits them. It really is kind of a humanist philosophy here. That without critique and without the negative effects of society, humans would grow up to be these perfect flowers, which is which is the opposite of what we would believe because of total depravity. We say that you have something in you that deforms you, and that's original sin. And the only thing that can help you do anything other than be deformed is the gospel. So I think there's the self-esteem uh, psychology that has had a large effect on how we look at people and there are studies out there that will talk about encouragement is more effective than critique, uh, that encouragement tends to be give you longer gains. So a critique can stop a behavior immediately, but encouragement tends to be something that has and fosters behavior over a long term. Well, there are models in coaching
0: in sport, or there are models in leadership. Right books on on leadership and so on that suggest that 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 you should be positive rather than negative affirming rather than condemning right reassuring
1: rather than humiliating right and and some really good information there and I think it is, as we tend to do, we try to take something that is a general principle and we try to apply it universally. So now all of a sudden we have no room for critique anywhere. We have no room for calling anybody out. So somebody says to you, and, and
0: this arises in, in various ways, um, but, but especially in, in, in sexual ethics, mm. you know, I have these feelings for whatever, right. whoever. Right. Uh, Someone guess, not my spouse or... Well, yeah, and it may be somebody of the same sex or somebody of the opposite sex or it may be, I mean, it may be a porcupine. But, right. But but I have these feelings for them and these yep. feelings are neutral and, and you're coming in, you know, hot and heavy and condemnatory, saying these feelings are inappropriate. And on, on what basis are you doing that? Why is that not...
1: You know, the accusation is that that's unloving. Right. And I would say that that is where we always take our leave from Scripture. It's not that I can tell you from my intuition or my heart what you can or can't do. We're always going to go back to the infallible Word of God and search it out for truth. Um, It's funny how often I see people in the room who have these feelings, usually for... Someone, not their spouse, they're married, they, they've started some emotional relationship, sometimes it's same-sex attraction, and they come in, we talk through what the, the Lord says clearly in his word, where is it okay, Where where are the places where sexuality is affirmed? Sexuality is affirmed always in the marriage between a man and a woman. When does love become lust? When does love become lust? That's a good question. I want to answer the question that I asked. When does love become lust?
0: Well, it, I, it brings us back full circle to agape. You know, Not a just love, eros. Well, a, a love that is self-fulfilling as opposed to a love that is fulfilling for others. A, mm. a, a love that's taking rather than a love that's giving. A love that Sacrifices, or a love that expects to get right. and receive, right? And and I do think that that one is lust, and one is and one is loving, whether that's in affections, or whether that's in sexuality, or right. whether that's in in um, relationship to to um, to to others in any in any sort of capacity. Right. Agape here. Is a, is a defining
1: issue for us. One sacrifices, one expects to receive. Hmm. That's a really good point. And, and I think in marriages, this is where the rubber meets the road, where when marriages come in to see me, it's often about my spouse is not doing what they should to fulfill me. And there's no back and forth about what am I doing to fulfill my spouse? How am I being like Christ? How am I suffering and serving? Not that that's what marriage should always be about, is suffering and serving, but there are seasons that we suffer and we serve for our spouse so that they can perceive something more of Jesus in us. And what a wonderful opportunity that is for us to displace Christ to our spouses. Um, And when people don't have that, and good marriages do this. Good marriages go through times when, by bits and pieces, they begin to focus on themselves rather than their spouse. And when when people realize that, the, the moment they begin to realize that they are focusing on themselves and not their spouse, you know, that's the time to repent and ask for forgiveness and be like Jesus to them. And that sounds like the perfect spot
0: to conclude.
1: You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage at firstprescolumbiaorg forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbiaorg forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or issues you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can reach us at our email address, which is 1A at That's 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org. or via our Twitter account, which is at 1APodcast. That's at 1APodcast or by phone, 803-281-1795. 803-281-1795. For Dr. Thomas, I'm Josh Squires. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.